Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Father, I pray this morning that those who hear the words of this message will tie everything in from their faith development lesson to even the offertorial exaltation. That we can't stay in one place. We got to walk. And Lord, when we walk, some things will follow. In Jesus' name. I want to thank the church for ministering to our soul today. Thank the deacons and the men for leading us in worship to this point. Subtitle to our message today is you still must walk. When we look at the 23rd song, we have to acknowledge this, perhaps the most popular Old Testament passage in the Bible, least most quoted. But this, this popular passage teaches us several important lessons, but, but one is the reality of death. Jeremy brought that thing in, and, and we went to Fred Rouse's sister funeral, and, and David Stanley did, did an excellent job in talking about that, 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 that we ain't going to stay here. So we all living in the dash, Nate. But then death comes, the other side of that dash. See, death, according to the Bible, is an enemy we must all face. Death is an appointment, according to the Bible, that we all will make. Death cannot be canceled, delayed, or rescheduled. But within the words of the 23rd Psalm, David offers us hope concerning death. So let's kind of just look at this individual who penned this and uh I believe that most of the 150 psalms written that's in the Bible is written by King David. And songwriting was David's way of dealing with emotions of life. Some of y'all can relate to that. I know I can. I look back. I think about my grandmother. Wherever things were going bad, Harry, she was saying something like this. There's a dark cloud rising. See, some of y'all know that. It was something about songs that gave you hope in a hopeless situation. So David writes songs about the things he encountered in life. And we, we don't know the situation of the occasion that, that, that prompted David to pen the words to the 23rd song. But, but I got a suggestion for you that perhaps if we look at 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 6. Let me read the words that, that, that uh, was penned there by the writer. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stone to him because the souls of the people grieved. Every man for his son and his daughter. 
But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, now I, 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 I call this, Jeff, I call this the zigzag experience. Now, zigzag was David headquarters as he was running from Saul. It was the place where he was. He gathered to him about 500 men who were maybe not the best, but they followed David. And they were real close to David. But they left Ziglag one day to go out on a raiding party. And while they were away from Ziglag, the Amalekites came in and raided Ziglag. They took the wives and the children of all of David's men with them. So when they got back to camp, and they saw the camp was empty. That's when you see Samuel writes this. David was greatly distressed because now those same people who followed him, who had his back, now they want to kill him. Can I talk to you a minute? See, you all have zig-like experience. If you don't, just keep on living as they said last week. A zigzag experience is that when those people that you count on, those people that you trust, those people that's in your group, I don't know the new word, nigga, that they use about people, but those people that's in your post or wherever it is, those are the ones that turn around and want to kill you. So maybe David's zigzag experience motivate him to write the words in Psalm 23. It was the way David dealt with his emotion of disappointment. And I'm going to be breaking this thing down into bite-sized pieces because uh, it helped me anyway. Maybe it helped you. David, in his zig-like experience, he used an example of his shepherds, his love, his care, and protection for sheep. So the first thing that David does in this psalm, we'll find in verse 1, is remind himself whose he was. Uh, I, I think some of y'all missed that. Do you really know, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, do you really know whose you are? See, a lot of times we know who we are, but we don't know whose we are. So in verse 1, David says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You see, David understood the responsibilities and requirement of a shepherd because he spent his early childhood as a shepherd. David loved the sheep. David cared for the sheep. David led the sheep. David fed the sheep. And more importantly, David fought for the sheep. Y'all probably heard the story of the lion and the bear. So David was content that if the Lord is my shepherd, that the Lord was going to do the same for him. There's a story of a little boy who was in a Christmas or a church play. His part was to read the first verse of Psalm 23. The little boy diligently studied the psalm over and over again. And when it came time for him to recite his verse, 
he was so nervous. He went up there shaking, and he basically said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not worry. And like you, many of the people chuckled, but David, the little boy, was more accurate than those people in the audience who chuckled at him realized. You see, the Hebrew word for want has a sense of lacking nothing. It implies having everything you need to go on a long journey. So why worry? I remember my first time that I went to Chicago, I went to Chicago on a train, uh, you know, and I was, you know, I was riding by myself. I, I was a little teenager. But what I had, I had my chicken that mama cooked. I had a piece of uh, pound cake that grandmama cooked. I had my ticket, and I had a little badge on say who I was. So as I got on the train, why were I knew where I was going. So, so this little boy basically saying to us, if the Lord is your shepherd, why you worry? Now that's going to be pillar because you're going to have to follow everything else. These other six verses based on that. Who is your shepherd? I think it'd be benefiting for us if we look at, I think, five key words from a closer perspective and define them before we go into the song. I think it will help us. So I got five words that I want us to look at. The first word is valley. Valley. Now, the, the, the valley of death that David speaks about is a literal place. I'll be always grateful for the church sending Anne and I to Israel because we got a chance to go to the Valley of Death. It's a place in between Jericho and Jerusalem where a road that's about 10 feet wide and we were on a bus that was about 8 feet wide. The valley has a deep ravine. A 300 foot drop off. And I don't mean incline, I mean drop off. The valley is also dark. No sunshine get there. In fact, sunshine never reaches the bottom of this valley and nothing grows. And as we were winding around these curves, my honey was so frightened she wouldn't even look. She clung to me like I could do something. So I want you to keep in our mind what a valley is, literally, and then we're going to look at one in a different perspective. The next word is death. Death is separation of the body, soul, and spirit. According to the wisdom book of Solomon, that's what we're composed of. When we die, the body, which ain't nothing but dirt, going to go back to the earth, which it came. The spirit, a new model, Dr. X, is going to go back to the person or the being, the heavenly father who gave it to us. And the soul is going to go wherever we determine it to go. But the bottom line is death is a separation. I want to make sure you understand this, because if I have to do a eulogy, you'll know. Death does not mean the end. Nowhere in the Bible is this word translated as annihilation. Death is a separation of, a, of the body, soul, and spirit, but it's also an interest to some other place. The third word is shadow. A shadow is a reflection of something that is real. 
is a reflection of something that's real. But it can be larger or smaller than what it's reflect. Yesterday, and I, I'm amazed how the Holy Spirit worked. My wife didn't realize this, but that was a commercial that came on TV, an adult food commercial. And it starts out with the shadow of this big old wolf. And then the reality of it was nothing but a dog. But can you imagine the fear if you think in your driveway a puppy or a dog or a wolf? So sometimes a shadow can deceive us, but sometimes the shadow can cause us to deceive ourselves. In other words, there is a danger there that we don't recognize. The fourth word is lead. It simply implies a willingness to follow. See, there is no leading without someone following. And our key word is going to be walk. Walk is motion. It's moving forward. But here's the kicker about in this verse. It means to walk with a heavy burden. To walk with a heavy burden. Uh, I, I was wondering who put this on the pulpit, and I asked a couple people, and my, my wife put it out there. She said it's going to tie in with the message, and I, I kind of got that, that point. This little box got a whole bunch of little footprints on it. And it says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, if you are on the path and you just standing there, what good does it do? Amen, amen, amen. We, 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 we going somewhere with this. So you got these ideas of valley, death, shadow, and lead and walk. Let's continue with that with verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pasture. Let's stop right there. The Hebrew verb lie implies perfect, peaceful rest. I'm giving you an idea. Uh, the word literally means to recline. I, I, I wish y'all could kind of see if I could point out Deacon walk over here and Deacon Taylor. They, 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 they sit in a position to where they kind of relax. But I want you to think, this, how many of y'all got easy chairs? Look, look, look at Mac over here. Mac, he all stressed out, you know. <laughs> He's reclining. So that's what the word means. It means literally to recline. Now, pastors, he made me lie down in green pastures. Pastor is a source of nourishment. And the green su suggests moist food that is easily chewed and abundantly available. Now, Em, I know you can understand this. When the collard greens are growing in the yard and it gets close to wintertime and the dew falls on them and turns to frost, it has a tendency to make the collard greens tender. I don't know y'all, y'all don't know that, but... So this is what this says. He, he, he putting you in a position to where, where, where you are relaxing. Let me put it this way. When the Lord's your shepherd, 
You can sit back and recline like Mac. And then eat his daughter's collard greens that she don't prepare for because she showed up to cook. Your favorite food and favorite drink when the Lord is your shepherd. Let's go on with verse 2. He leads me. Remember we talked about that. Implying follow. Beside the quiet water. According to the new American Standard Bible. But the King James uses the word still. Water. Both still and quiet are appropriate. You see, sheep do not deal well with water. They don't swim well. Reason is that wool will get soaked and it's difficult for them to keep their head above water. They can't tread. So much so that they fear water that even the noise of rushing, running water causes the sheep anxiety. Oh, I hear a point in there. I hear your Holy Spirit. See, some of y'all get so upset and it ain't nothing but noise. You ain't in the water. You ain't close to the water. But you hear the water. And in that you panic. Run into something else. Running from something that you just heard. Let me give you a picture of it. You hear the water. You think it's a big river waterfall. And when you get to it, all it is is a little dripping creek. But the sheep are just like that. But David says God leads him by the quiet, still. This gives the sheep not only comfort, but confidence to go and get a drink. Verse 3. And here's our theme for the month. He restores my soul. We'll stop there. I really, really like this. It goes almost like that other example I gave. The Hebrew verb here, translated restore, can be rendered to return to a place of retreat. How many of y'all ever been on a retreat? The word here literally means refreshment. It's like a refreshment thing. But the idea is be, to be relieved from pressure. How many of y'all got high pressure jobs? And then you go on vacation? Or you just take a week off? It just does something because you're relieved from that pressure. Can I give you an example? It's like having a high stressful job. And then the company send you to your va favorite vacation spot at no cost for transportation, no cost for lodging, and no cost for food. Wouldn't that be nice? And when you come back, you'd feel a sense of, hey, I'm ready now. He restores my soul, and then it says he guides me in the path of righteousness and justice for his namesake. The translation of, of the word guide uh, in the King James is lead me. And, and, and he, he, here's 
Here's a, a, a good example of that. Uh, come here, Stevie. Just a minute so you can close as one. What it means is to walk to one side. Now, I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you to put your hand on me. Yeah, I guess it right there. Turn around and follow me. Now, y'all know some steps over here, don't you? And I want him to keep his eyes closed. But but <laughs> but to guide to guide him to one side means I'm gonna take him on this side. I'm gonna keep him away from the danger, and he's gonna follow me, and I'm guiding him all the way. Thank you, son. The problem is that God is trying to guide us to one side, and we want to be on another side, especially you young ladies in relationship. With some dude out there that don't mean you no good. You trying to follow him. And God trying to guide you on one side. Go get you a saved fella. Somebody in the church. Get out the club. Because that's not where I'm leading you. He says. Guide me on the path of righteousness. This word righteousness can be rendered as straight. Got me on the straight path. You see, we all come to forks in the road. We all come to crossroads in the road that sometimes can confuse us. And David was aware that the Lord knows the right path. So David was not concerned about getting lost. Even though he does not know where he's going or how to get there. Now why was David so confident? Going back to verse 1. The Lord was his shepherd. David knew that he was God's sheep and he was the Lord's responsibility. And the Lord was going to see him through, not because of King David, but because of his own reputation. Some of you parents may be identified with this. Child done messed up somehow, done got something wrong, maybe even your spouse. And you go ahead and pay that bill. Let me give you another example. You don't co-sign for somebody. I wouldn't suggest that. But you pay the bill because if you don't, it's going to affect your credit. So David is saying, the Lord ain't doing all this for me, but because I belong to him, he's going to protect his name. He used the term Yahweh here, which is the covenant name, a relationship between him and God. So because of the Lord's reputation, do y'all know who y'all belong to? A lot of the stuff that God is preventing you from and taking away is not because you're so good and you know that, but because of his reputation. Getting to our key verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, three of those key words are using this one. I fear no evil. 
for you're with me. As you said earlier, walking is motion, putting one foot in front of the other. What walking is not, is not standing still and hoping. It's about walking and praying. Are you listening to me? Many of you will spiritually die in the valley if you don't walk through your valley. I don't think you got it. Some of y'all right now even dying or dead because you are still in your valley. We all got valleys. Some valley are external valleys. External valley is something that somebody else doesn't put you through. Some of it is internal valleys. That's dealing with your mind. You're about to go crazy on something that's going on. But then there are self-made valleys. Because we ain't walking with the Lord. We don't made a valley out of something that shouldn't have been a mountain. Then lastly, a lot of us don't want to admit there are divinely appointed valleys. Sometimes God is sending you through a valley to teach you how to climb. We don't know for sure what David Valley was. But this thing we can know for certain. It was something that caused him to fear. The Hebrew word for fear here means to be terrified. The Bible even called it evil. But because the Lord was David, shepherd, David did not panic. Why? Because he said this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff are tools of a shepherd. The rod pods and poke. Mm. Mm. And the shaft hooks and snatches. In other words, not only do the rod and staff keep the wolves and the snakes and the bears at bay, it also keeps the sheep in line. Verse 5, I think you'll like this. <clears throat> You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Can you imagine this? Enemies all around you. They can see you. And God here is spreading our table in front of you. It's a sign to the enemy. I'm going to take care of my sheep. And I'm going to let you see it. Because you can look. But you can't touch. See a lot of times when we're going through our stuff. We don't realize it's a spiritual battle. Job didn't see it. And a lot of times we can't see it. God is just putting you on display. Saying this is my child. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup runs over. And Jeff, you, I thought about this when I looked at this and began to look at the study of it. Because a lot of people say, I want God's anointing. I want to be anointed. I am anointed. You know what the little word anointed means in the Old Testament? To be fat. How many of y'all say that? To grow fat. To cause to become fat. 
That's not the context here, but that's what the word means. You know why it means that? Because in the Old Testament, fatness was a sign of prosperity. If you were if you if you if you were poor, you couldn't eat. And if you were fat, that meant that you got enough to eat and even more. So the word also could mean prosper, make healthy, or even to make rich. Or is a symbol of gladness. Y'all got that? Can y'all say that with me? Because I'm going to go some with this. Or is a symbol of gladness. You see, the Hebrew nation was required to honor all their fellow Hebrews that were traveling to and fro. fro. Uh, so when they got there, they, they had a mixture of oil mixed with perfume, and they poured it on their head. Now, what did I say oil meant? Okay. See, this was more than a welcome. This was a sign that I'm glad to have you here. How many of y'all have had some guests? You might have been glad to see them come, but you're glad to see them go, ain't you? <laughs> you, 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 you're doing it out of courtesy, and we'll, we'll make statements like, come on in and make yourself at home. You don't mean that. Making yourself at home means they can go in your bedroom, your refrigerator, go anywhere they want to. But when you poured the oil on them, you were telling them, I'm glad to have you. The cup symbolized the graciousness and favorable manner of how the host displayed their gladness to entertain their guests. The cup was not an ordinary cup. It was a special cup, special utensil. In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't your everyday plate. It wasn't definitely a paper plate. It was the fine china that you kept in your house. And right before dinner, after the fellowship meal, uh, the cup was filled up. And they would drink from the cup, all of it. The next morning when the guests got up, if he looked down and saw the cup was empty, he knew it was time to leave. If it was a half a cup, it meant he could stay one more night. If it was a full cup, that meant he had a little bit more liberty to stay longer. But when that cup overflowed, it said you can stay as long as you want to stay. Are you glad to see him? Mm-hmm. Our last verse. Surely... Goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we say they will follow me, speaking of two important virtues in the life of a Christian. Goodness. Prosperity. Favor. Good things. Beautiful things. The best things. Loving kindness. Merciful Favor. What's merciful favor? Compassion that withholds justice. 
You remember when you should have got that beat down and you didn't? Because your parents had compassion on you? These are the things that follow us if we walk. I am thankful for all the prosperity that God has given me, but I'm more thankful for the compassion that withholds justice. See, the key to our last word is walk. And if you walk, they will follow. Sometimes you may be in want, but keep on walking. Sometimes your pastures may be dry, but keep on walking. Sometimes the waters in your life may be turbulent, but keep on walking. Sometimes you may be uncomfortable, but keep on walking. Sometimes your table may be bare, but keep on walking. Sometimes you may feel unanointed, but keep on walking. Sometimes you may see mercy and grace, and you can't see them clearly. They're following you, but you don't see them. Keep on walking. If you want not to walk, you got to walk through the valley. If you want your pastures to be green, you got to walk through the valley. If you want still and quiet waters, you got to walk through your valley. If you want the rod and staff to cover you, you got to walk through the valley. If you want the table to be prepared before you, guess what? You got to walk through the valley. If you want the Lord's anointing, you got to walk through the valley. If you want the Lord's mercy and goodness, guess what you got to do? You got to walk through the valley. We must keep walking. Following the good shepherd through the valleys of life. And when we walk with him through the valleys of life, we won't have no problem when it comes to walking through the valley of the shadows of death. Now all of these things hinges upon who is your shepherd. And that's the question I'm going to ask today. Because your shepherd is anything that you are willing to follow. Who is your shepherd? If the Lord is your shepherd, you need to keep on walking. If he's not your shepherd, I want to tell you how to become his sheep. If you're staying with me right now. See, you have to ask yourself a question. This is a sheep pen, but there's wolves in the pen. Some are outright wolves you know. Some are wolves in sheep clothing. The difference between the wolves in the pen and sheep clothing and the real sheep is the shepherd. And when the shepherd comes, he calls them by name. He may be calling somebody today. So if you're joining us in this prayer, that all sinners must pray in their heart outright. Say it with me. Lord Jesus, I believe in my heart 
that you are the Son of God, whom he raised from the dead. I confess that you died for my sin. Please have mercy on me and forgive me and come into within me this day. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.